0: Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of The Comics Comic, found wherever you can type The Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people with dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Today's guest, Michael Ian Black, is familiar to anyone who has watched TV in the past two decades first as a member of sketch group The State, later in shows including Ed, Stella, Michael and Michael Have Issues, and several shows not based around first names. In the summer of 2015, you can see him in steen stealing roles in three TV series, The Jim Gaffigan Show on TV Land, Another Period on Comedy Central, and The Wet Hot American Summer Prequel on Netflix. He's also a best-selling author and podcast host, whose latest podcast, How to Be Amazing, debuted this year via PRX. Prepare to be amazed by Michael Ian Black's own journey. So let's get to it. So Michael, this is a big, this is a big trend time for revivals, and I know you're, you're part of it with Wet Hot American Summer. Mm-hmm. But what is the last project of yours that you would ever imagine being revived? Um,
1: probably Viva Variety, which was a, uh, uh, a fake European variety show that I did with Tom Lennon and Ben Grant and Kerry Kenny in the mid-1990s. Um, it was very fun and very silly. It was on Comedy Central for, I think, like 40 episodes or something, but, the, I, I mean, it's, it's long lost, uh very few people remember it and there's no clamoring for more.
0: But people weren't exactly clamoring for coach. Speak for yourself. I just did. My letter my letter writing campaign finally <laughs> paid dividends. You never know when they're gonna say, well let's see Tom's really hot with this odd couple revival. Right. What else what else do you got in the can? Right. It's like Viva variety? <laughs> Expanding the late-night potential? Yeah,
1: I suspect it would go Reno 912 before it would give you a variety.
0: And with what Hot American Summer, what was the first thing you thought when you realized this was actually going to happen again? Because it had been talked about for a long time.
1: Yeah, and I uh, remained dubious right up until they said action. Um... um I guess I was a little bit... I wasn't really concerned, but, you know, it's it's like anything. You know, everybody in that cast, um, most people in that cast have gone on to have, like, terrific careers. Uh, One notable exception being myself. And I was, you know, like, will it be weird, like, to hang out with Bradley Cooper or Amy Poehler or whoever? And, you know, it wasn't. They were great.
0: You've all aged gracefully enough to turn back the the clocks.
1: Michael Showalter has not, and he'll be the first person to tell you that.
0: Did they write that into the script? No, I wish they had. One <laughs> what of what the things that, uh, you know, my first uh, glimpse of you was like a lot of people with, with this state. Uh-huh. And I remember, that was for me, that was the first time I saw people my age on TV doing what they loved. So... I'm wondering. I, I ask a lot of people what their last jobs were outside of comedy. Did you have a lot of outside work experience outside of comedy? <clears throat> no, not really. Uh,
1: I mean, I did. I had some summer jobs when I was in college, um, but the state basically was a college job and uh, came out of college. So the last like job job I had was probably. Um, stealing money from a pizzeria. That was that was more or less my job at the pizzeria, was to steal money. <laughs> I mean, there might have been some pizza-related activities, too, but mm-hmm. the way I
0: saw it, my job was to steal money steal from the money. register. <laughs> so how do you give notice at a job like that?
1: Um, you just say, uh, you know, I I, I I think at the time I was just going back to school or something. I'm not going to be around, so you're going to see... Uh, considerably more profits Mm -hmm. in your enterprise so congratulations you're about to make a lot more money
0: (laughs) and 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 even through this whole uh 20 25 years you haven't had to to pick up a a side gig or no no I've I've been very uh fortunate I mean my side
1: gigs tend to be writing books or performing stand-up or working on a movie, or a movie script, or or whatever. I mean, I've created side gigs for myself, so that I don't have to
0: get, you know, a real job. So all of the jokes about having, like, one season and done, aside, it's it's been okay. Oh, it's
1: been great. I mean, it's been great in the sense that I haven't had to get another job. I mean, at this point, you know, I'm 60 years old. I don't know what I would do.
0: It's a good thing this is a timeless. This is a timeless interview. That's so, a, at some point, someone will be listening to this, and you will be sixty. Yeah.
1: But I mean, how do you? I mean,
0: how do you? I mean, this is my career. Like, what? I mean, what else am I going to do? Who Who is the first comedian you saw or heard that made you think that this could be, this could be a thing, this could be a career path?
1: It didn't really happen like that because even when I was on this path. Even when I was already a professional comedian, I didn't consider myself one and didn't really think that that's what I would be doing with myself. So I didn't, there wasn't like one stand up that I looked at or one uh, sketch or on SNL or anything where I was like, oh, I want to do that. I didn't want to do this. This wasn't my intention. Um,
0: so I, just, I, I, I feel like I more or less fell into it. So you didn't have like a phase where you thought, oh, I want to be a baseball player, or I want to be an astronaut? Well, sure. Then, when
1: I was four or five, uh, then, followed,
0: followed by, I want to be a
1: long-distance trucker, followed by, I want to be an actor. And, and then I just stayed with that one.
0: And was there someone who who you had seen or heard? No, and, I just was in a play, and I was like, oh, okay. oh this is
1: this is fun. And girls are here. What was that play? I don't even know what it was called. It was a camp. It was okay. a summer, like a summer camp thing, and... Um, it all comes back to summer camp it, uh, for me yeah it basically does um, and so I just decided when I was nine well I'll just do this and then I just was and then I just stuck with it I don't know why I mean it's a stu- it's ludicrous when you think about it that like I'm I'm I've lived out the like the, the career choice of somebody who made that decision for him who somebody who could not yet tie his own shoes mm-hmm. like made that decision and then me now middle age is like oh okay well I guess I gotta do that because that nine year old said that's what we're doing (laughs) stupid
0: and now you're sitting in the green room waiting (laughs) to do two shows I know or two shows or three shows
1: two shows at Caroline's tonight Mm. Um, please come I know this isn't gonna you're not gonna hear this for months at the age of 60 yes (laughs) you're still doing Caroline's (laughs) on a weekend I mean I'll be very fortunate if at the age of 60 I'm still doing Caroline's on a weekend Mm. Caroline's would be fortunate if Caroline still exists uh, then Yes,
0: we'll all be fortunate. Well, look,
1: we're all we're all rooting for comedy here.
0: <laughs> when was the when was the first time that you realized then that that you had made it? I think a lot of people who are asked that question
1: will probably respond the same way, and it, and it's totally honest. Like I don't feel like I've made it. Um, I don't know what I don't know what that would feel like. I mean, to me, that, that implies a, a sense of, like, A, security, which I don't feel like I have, and B, accomplishment, which I don't really feel like I have. I've done some things, and I continue to do things, but there's a kind of resting on your laurels quality to feeling like you've made it that I've never, I've never experienced. Um, I don't know what it would be. I don't know if it would be a financial thing. I don't think it would be a fame thing. I know it wouldn't be. I don't know what it would be, because, I mean, if you, if, you, if you make something successful, if you make a successful movie or television show, or, or, or you've got a great set, stand up, or you write a book that does well, like, the next question is, well, what's next? I mean, I'm always thinking about what's next, and so that negates the possibility of having felt like you made it.
0: What, what is the bigger uh, engine that, that drives you? Is it, is it insecurity, or is it ambition? I think it's a combination. Um... I definitely feel insecure all
1: of the time, and I definitely have ambition, but my ambition has changed over the years, whereas I think when I was younger, it was a kind of amorphous, like, I'm gonna make it, like in that in that way that you think there is a moment when you feel like you arrived. And then as I got older, I realized there, there never would be. My ambitions now are about very specific things, things I want to achieve. Um, that aren't necessarily going to be big flashy things, but they're things that I want to do. I mean, I write books now, and uh, I know, like, nobody reads books, nobody gives a shit about books, but for me, and my ambition, like, my, like my ambition is to be, be a good writer, like, just a good writer. It's not to sell a bunch of books, although that would be great but it's to learn how to be a good writer, and so I write books to learn how to be a good writer. To me, that's ambition. So then what compelled you to, to move into stand-up? I want to be a good stand-up. It's the same thing. Like, you know, stand-up's a little bit different because I can see, I can see the riches in stand-up, and I'm speaking purely financially. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of money to be made in stand-up if you have an audience, um, and you can, you can get an audience one of two ways. You can be really good, Or really famous, and hopefully both. Um, So, you know, I'm working with Jim Gaffigan right now, and he's one of the best stand ups in the country. Um, He's very funny, very talented, works really hard. And, you know, like I was talking, like we were having a sort of offhand conversation about him playing Madison Square Garden. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, you can do that? He's like, well, it's not a money gig. I'm like, how the fuck is (laughs) Madison Square Garden not a money gig? I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, I still make money, but... I'm like, Jesus. Like, I don't have that. Like, you know, I'm at Caroline's tonight. I'll be lucky if 200 people show up, and that's fine, you know. Um, For me right now, it's more about learning how to be a good stand-up. And and I haven't... I I, I don't deserve to be where he is. I mean, I haven't devoted the years to it that he has. I haven't done the late-night circuit I haven't done like you know night after night after night in the club. So, you know, any success that I have at it, um, you know, I'm grateful for.
0: What what do you remember
1: about your first time doing stand-up? Well my very first time doing stand up I was with Michael Showalter at NYU and there was like a it was like it was called like the Doritos stand up comedy talent search or something, and it was like you would just sign up. It was like basically an open mic, and it was a contest, and it it was like, you know, rounds, and you would progress through the rounds, Mm -hmm. and and the winner, I don't know, won $50,000 in a bag of Doritos or something. So this was like the open mic at NYU, sort of preliminary rounds, too. And we both signed up, kind of on a lark. And what I guess I didn't realize heading into it was that you should have some material or jokes, or something to say. I had none of that. I don't even know what I did, but I mean, it was an utter failure, of course. How could it not be? He was very funny. He did a couple impressions. I think he came in third. Uh, I think I came in like eight out of eight. Um, And then I didn't do it again for like 10 years. I'd always admired it. Never, but but never could see myself doing it because I thought it just seemed so scary. And that's part of the reason I started doing it was because I really wanted to just sort of face
0: that fear so when you came back to it years later people knew you from TV or film mm-hmm. so they had they had a perception of you but they didn't really know you as a stand-up no and I didn't
1: I didn't know myself as a stand-up um, at the time I was co-hosting a live tell a live uh, nightclub show called Stella with Michael Showalter and David Wayne. Eventually that became a television series but in in its initial run it was just a live nightclub show where we would come and fuck around on stage and we'd have comedians come on and they would perform and it was great. And that ran for a number of years. And I was comfortable in front of an audience in that capacity. But I didn't know who I was as a stand-up. But I started doing these I love this 70s, 80s, 90s shows on VH1 and I started getting offers to come to colleges and do stand-up. I was like, I do not really do that. And they're like, well, we'll pay you $15,000. And I was like, well, I do do that. (laughs) So I just had to basically write an hour of comedy um, and do it in front of 1,200 people. That was my first time as a stand-up comedian, really. And, um, you know, I sort of, I had a little dodge in it, which is I called it a lecture so that people wouldn't be expecting necessarily jokes every 30 seconds. But it, it worked to the extent that it worked which is it worked fine I got through it and I think people had a good time and so that's how I, I started doing comedy like with an hour which is not the typical route and that was with colleges at with first. colleges yeah and then and then that opened up the world of clubs or theaters or, or whatever and, uh, and, and, and because I live sort of in the woods not sort of I live in the woods far from any comedy uh, outlet I never... I never, like, drop in for a set. I never try out ten minutes anywhere. If I perform, like, a new hour, generally, like, that's a new hour that I've just written without having had the benefit of trying it out anywhere. And that's, um... That's not the smartest way to go about it. (laughs)
0: How how does your your writing voice when you're writing an essay differ from your stand-up voice? Um...
1: I feel much more comfortable being not funny in the essay form I feel very comfortable uh, you know sort of peppering things with jokes but not feeling obligated to be funny in the same way that you're obligated when you're doing stand-up so with stand-up I mean people are paying to laugh with essays and, and, and prose writing I don't feel like they're necessarily paying for that I feel like they're, they're, they're paying for something slightly different
0: I know I know for me when when I got involved in comedy and changed my writing my writing voice adapted to the comedy. Hmm. I started to think of my readers as an audience. Uh-huh. Um, in my prose writing
1: I've had I've forced myself to get away from that mentality because for me as a writer, it it keeps me on a it doesn't allow me to go as as, as deep as I sometimes want to go. And so I find myself I'm rewriting a book that that is due and will come out in January right now. And a lot of my rewriting is taking out jokes is just stripping away jokes and trusting that um, it doesn't need it. trusting that it will it will hold together without sort of funny asides and parentheticals and all that shit. So
0: uh, hopefully I'm correct. I might not be. Is is the subject matter so serious that you don't want to come off as flippant? Well, no.
1: Um, Well, it is... Yeah, at times it's serious, at times it's not, and at times I am flippant, and and there's jokes all through it, but... I can sense for myself when the jokes are just... I'm just laying out a joke as opposed to it serving a a, a sort of uh, narrative purpose or... illuminating something if, it, if it's basically if it's just a joke I take it out mm. and, and, and a lot of times I think for comedians and for myself like the joke is your defense mechanism and in taking that out I feel like I'm exposing myself a little bit more okay.
0: when you're uh, when you're performing on a bill whether it's a festival or just a showcase show with five or six other comedians who is the last person you'd want to have to go up after?
1: Well, any show that I've been on with Reggie Watts, Reggie always goes last because it's impossible to compete with the human beatbox Bobby McFerrin sort of stream of conscious genius that is Reggie Watts. I mean, it always brings down the house. So I think from an audience point of view, after you've seen Reggie Watts, even if he's first, you'd be like, okay, well, great night. Time to go. (laughs)
0: <laughs> so, if, so, so, say someone booked a show, and put Reggie Watts in front of you. Would you, would you go to Reggie, or would you talk to the fe- the booker? And I would go, talk to the the person who made the list and say, just so you know,
1: <laughs> it's not going to go well having me here. I think you want to end with Reggie. You'll be much happier. Uh,
0: and and if uh, and if Reggie went on, and then and then you you had to go on after him in your comedy career. Was dead. Uh-huh. People are like, "Oh, well." <laughs> this Michael Ian Black. He should get out of comedy. Do you have? What
1: would be the first thing you would do? If, if I if I if it was just like if I just got my comedy card cut in half. Yeah. I mean, that couldn't work in comedy in any capacity. No. I mean, I guess I would try to be a dramatic actor, which is which was my intention the entire time, which was all I ever wanted to be. <laughs> ever since summer camp basically
0: hmm. so you got a good fallback option you don't have to become a car no bear. I'm not
1: saying I'll have any success at it I'm just saying that's what I would try to do Okay. I, you know for the six weeks until my money ran out and my house <laughs> got foreclosed on
0: oh and then okay so then
1: what would you I don't fucking okay. know
0: oh. I have no skills
1: I mean advertising I mean maybe I, had, I mean that's the only thing I could think I could do but I mean I would hate it so much I would hate it Run a political campaign? Maybe I'd do that. I thought about politics. Maybe, can I get a radio show where I don't make jokes?
0: That's most radio shows. Well, but, but I'm I mean, taking, in
1: this in this hypothetical situation, right. where I'm not allowed to be in comedy, but I could, I could do a radio show. Oh, uh, you could talk. Okay, I'll do
0: a radio show. Okay. That seems like a great job. I would love that. I mean, this is radio now. Essentially, this quote, is... Quote, unquote. When radio, you're sixty. are sixty. This is radio. Radio
1: implies, Sean, that somebody's listening to this.
0: <laughs> That's true. Well, I mean, we'll listen to it later. You will. You'll just forget. Them. I'm not gonna listen to it. I don't listen to my own podcast. Good point. Okay. Well, since since we're ruling pretty much everything out, we're sticking with comedy. Mm. What uh, to go back to the to the first question about revivals. Uh huh. Out of all the various projects you've done, what's the first thing you'd like people to take a second look at? Uh, Stella, the television show, which
1: received no love when it came out. Um, and I think it's great. I mean, it really makes me laugh. Um, I haven't watched it in several years, but the last time I watched it, I hadn't seen it in several years. And, uh, it really, really made me laugh, and and I think it's very smart and inventive, and um, uh, it looks really good, and it's just, it's just, I mean, it's just the height of stupidity um, and absurdism, and
0: I th- I think we did a great job with it. Do you think it's it's uh, it's of its time or? ahead of its time or I mean it, it clearly
1: wasn't of its time <laughs> whether it's ahead of its time I mean that implies a kind of quality that you know the world hadn't caught on I don't know I mean maybe I'm just delusional in my thinking that it's really really funny um, but but I do and and I, I I would hope that you know people who are interested in offbeat comedy would, would at least check it out and 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 see what we were trying to do.
0: And what's the best way for people
1: to check out Stella now? Well, I don't know if there's any way to check it out. <laughs> I mean, I think you could you could probably order
0: a DVD. You could probably do that. Okay, I just want to make sure we know what the, the, the able technologies are for it's not, maybe obtaining it.
1: I don't know. I don't. Talking, I don't think it's streaming anywhere.
0: Mm. Um, maybe you could get a DVD. Maybe not. You'd think with Wet Hot coming out on Netflix that they would find some way to tie in other now that you've watched I would, this I would love maybe it. you should watch Stella I would love it if people watch Stella after watching White Hot
1: because they definitely come from a similar place
0: well before I let you go I have at least one or two really trivial questions uh huh when is the last time you went to a school reunion high school college I went to my 20th high school reunion which was
1: 2008 and did you enjoy that experience? I did, surprisingly. Um, I had a really nice time. Uh, I think I drank a fair amount of gin and tonic, and I'm not a big drinker, and I think that helped. But but at 20, was interesting because I also went to my 10. Both times, kind of reluctantly, both times I was like, I'm not going to do this, and then somebody, like, one of my high school friends or something, said, come on, don't be a dick, and I went. <laughs> um, 10, I felt like there was still like, high school weirdness there and by 20 I was like I don't give a fuck about any of these people not in a mean way but just like I hope you're happy I hope I'm happy like I hope we're all happy you know like all of it had gone away and
0: and that was that I think made the night really enjoyable that's that's good to hear because I've talked to a lot of comedians who when I ask them that question they're like why would I go back Mm. to see any of those people from high school right Uh, or the ones that they're friends with they're friends with so why see any of the other people well, that was
1: my thinking, and then, and then I don't know who convinced me, but somebody convinced me, and I went. I think my old girlfriend, my first girlfriend from high school, wanted me to go, so I went. Was it Was it nostalgic? No, not at all. I mean, I didn't feel nostalgia. Um, I don't know what I felt. Just I was, I was a little bit drunk. I was just like, hey, I'm kind of drunk. Having a good time.
0: And people didn't treat you differently because you're a performer. Nobody gives a shit about me. Mm-hmm. At least 200 people tonight will care. (laughs) I'm hoping for 200.
1: I mean, they will be be sitting in judgment of you, at least.
0: Yeah, they will be. What's what's the last piece of great advice you got from a comedian? From a comedian? Yeah. Uh,
1: Chris Rock. He didn't... I don't know him, but... I I... wrote something down that he said. Let me see if I can find... Chris Rock on stand-up, somebody said, oh, uh, somebody asked him, when you're looking for subjects, do you go with your gut? He said, you keep notes, you look for the recurring, what's not going away? Boy, this police brutality thing, it seems to be lingering, what's going to happen here? You don't even have the joke, you just say, okay, what's the new angle that makes me not sound like a preacher? Forget being a comedian, just act like a reporter. What's the question that hasn't been asked? How come white kids don't get get shot? Um, And out of that comes comedy, that's the interviewer. Comes humor. You, uh, you laughed right away. I just asked a question that no one had ever asked. So it was just seeing a glimpse into his process, although different from my process. I found inspiring, mostly just because it's so analytical, and because he he has a, a very kind of uh, he has a method. He has a, He has a, a Jesus. It's the methodological methodol method. What's the word I'm looking for? He has a methodology.
0: He has, methodology. He has a process. <laughs> yeah. He has a method process. to his madness. Yeah, and
1: so I'm always interested in, in hearing how comedians do what they do. I mean, I'm, my, com- my comedy is not reportage in that way. I wish it were more because I feel like people love that. I wish it, it were more that, but it's not. So I have to find my own way into those subjects. Um, and that's my
0: process. My process is learning how to do that. And what would be the first piece of advice you would give any, any of the hundreds of young comedians who tweet at you or come up to you after a show and say, Michael, Ian Black, I love you, I want to, I want to be Right. you. Uh, tell the truth. I think
1: that's the only advice. Find your way to tell the truth.
0: Well, I certainly hope you've told the truth of me.
1: No, none, none, none of this has been
0: no. accurate in any way, shape, or form. Well... I guess that's all. That's all learning. It's a life lesson for me. <laughs> all right, you've just been once bitten.
1: All right. Next time you talk to me, you'll be twice shy.
0: Well, look for the next conversation then. <laughs> Thanks, Sean. Thanks, Michael. Last
1: things
0: first. This episode of the Comics Comic presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. Theme music by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Gigglechick. Please check out my website, comicscomic.com. for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean O. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Last things first. Last things
1: first.